0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in. I think we can all agree that it's important to set goals because they help you to challenge yourself to improve, to reach your own personal level of success, and to soar to new heights. But let's be honest. Sometimes chasing goals can really test your patience. I can't tell you how many times that I've tried to accomplish a goal, only to get frustrated and discouraged because it was taking too long to reach. Like I'm climbing up and up and up, but the destination still feels so far away that it might as well be in space. My guest today knows exactly how that feels. We're 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, we have to go for a to start, 2, 1, There, Booster ignition and liftoff of Shuttle Endeavour with NASA's final space station crew compartment that brings a bay window view to our celestial backyard.
1: Altitude and seven miles downrange from the Kennedy Space Center, according to onboard computers.
0: Fighter pilot, Guinness World Record holder, and NASA astronaut, Terry Virts has had opportunities that most only dream about. How many people can say that they've gotten the opportunity to look down at their hometown from space before? Before Colonel Virts could reach his podium moment, as he will say, he had to endure years of studying and intensive training, and he had to fight self-doubt. There's a term used in NASA known as escape velocity, which is the speed at which an object must travel to break free of a planet or moon's gravitational force in order to enter orbit. Did you know that in order for a shuttle to get out of orbit, it has to burn 90% of its fuel? That's a lot of effort up front, and that occurs before they even get into space. If you think about it, that's kind of how our goals, especially the long-term goals, are set up. We have to put in an enormous amount of effort in up front before we can get to the results that we want before we can reach escape velocity. Today we're gonna talk about setting long-term goals, why you should never tell yourself no, and why you should remember to never text and fly. What does unstoppable mean to you? Unstoppable is just a a mindset and a way of life. I think it's just uh, not being being afraid to fail.
1: Relentless. I can accomplish anything I want to accomplish. When I set my priorities right, when I walk with God, and when, again, I I live
0: with that mindset, being the best that I can be at every moment.
1: I think there's nothing more powerful on earth than the human will.
0: Anthony Robles has shown us that impossible is nothing. Anthony Robles is a national champion.
1: You're listening to the Unstoppable Podcast with Anthony Robles, brought to you by Safe Streets. Please welcome today's special guest, astronaut Terry Virts.
0: Hey everyone, before we start this episode, I'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor. When it comes to protecting your family, be unstoppable. Don't cut corners with your smart home security. Call my friends at Safe Streets. They'll evaluate your unique security and automation needs, all while delivering a five star customer experience. Get your free quote today call 844 980 SAFE. That's 844
1: 980 7233. Chris, how you doing today, sir? Doing good, man. It's good to be here. And I'm in Houston where it's hot, and you're in Arizona where it's hotter. <laughs> yeah, we got the, the dry heat out here. I feel like I'm just living in an oven. <laughs> We got the wet heat here. I'm living in a sauna, so I, I think I prefer the Arizona.
0: Yeah, I, I do too. But you know, I guess once you get past a certain temperature, it's just hot as hot, right?
1: I, I know. I remember when I was there, it got up to like 118 one day, and one, there was one day it got to 122. It was like the record, and it, it doesn't matter if it's dry or wet or whatever. You're you're melting at that. Your when your shoes are melting to the road, that's not a. You know, a <laughs> Well, definitely not. Well, Colonel, thank you so much just for taking the
0: time to to speak with me a little bit today. Sure. I mean, you, have, you have such an amazing resume as a NASA astronaut, International Space Station Commander, Colonel of the United States Air Force. What sparked your initial interest for aviation?
1: So for me, um, when I was a little kid, the first book I ever read was about Apollo. Um, I read one of those kindergarten, you know, reader books, one line per page, and I was just hooked. I grew up with Pictures of airplanes and space and stuff. Um, so that was really what did it for me was reading. And then in high school, I read a book called The Right Stuff. And that kind of showed me what I needed to do to get to be an astronaut. So for me, it was reading.
0: Wow. And I read that you graduated with a degree in mathematics and a minor yeah. in French from the United States Air Force Academy. Then you went on to a Masters of Aeronautical Science degree from Emory Riddle, which is here in Arizona. Right. Later on in your career, you were selected for Test Pilot School. Can you just share a little bit about that experience of being a test pilot and like what your duties were?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, when I was there at Williams Air Force Base, I got an F-16. So I was a fighter pilot for years. And then eventually I applied to be a test pilot because I knew that was the path to NASA. And in a fighter pilot, your job is to get the bombs on the target, right? And that, and as a test pilot, your job is to, and if you don't do that, then it's your fault as the pilot. As the test pilot, your job is to, max the airplane out to whatever it can do performance-wise. And if it's not getting the job done, then it's the airplane's fault. So it was actually kind of nice. you know, For years and years, it was always my fault if something went wrong. And suddenly, as a test pilot, it's the airplane's fault. They should have made the airplane better. So it's a different philosophy. But basically, if there's a new airplane or a new software, or a lot of it nowadays is software testing. Uh, you just test out the new stuff and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, then you take it back to the... Factory, the guys at Lockheed or, you know, whatever company built the airplane and and have them fix it.
0: So, I mean, being a test pilot where you have to really, you're putting your trust in these new planes with new equipment, new technology. How did you manage that stress of just basically knowing that every single time you're walking into a new situation?
1: Yeah. You know, it is, it can be stressful and some of the testing that we do doesn't really seem that, it's not crazy. It's not going Mach one like Chuck Yeager for the first time, but you know, several of my friends are not here anymore. When they were doing just basic, it didn't seem like that big a deal. They went out to a certain speed and did a turn, but the parameters that they did were not quite right, and they couldn't recover and they hit the ground. So, um, you you really had to take every flight with eyes wide open. You know, doing good risk analysis. Um, and making sure that you were thinking of everything. Cause if you let your guard down on something that seems like not a big deal, uh, it could kill you. It's, it's kind of like you're on earth. I mean, if you're just driving across town and you're not paying attention, you could die very easily. So sometimes it's the daily mundane things that can be the most dangerous. If you know, if, if there's like bad weather and it's raining, you're going to be paying attention and not texting. Right. But if it's just a good day listen to music, it, you can make a mistake. It's the same thing. And airplanes you got to always if you're flying a fighter jet you got to always be paying attention and not texting while you're while you're flying
0: <laughs> I, I can not imagine that just that experience of being in a fighter jet i mean with with all of your hours that you logged in flight did you have a certain certain aircraft that you you really preferred above the other ones and did you have like a oh, yeah. favorite
1: yeah. Yeah. the f-16 i've got uh that one up there that that was you know it's your first um So your first is always, you know, your best, but, uh, I got, you know, F-16 is my first, it's the best airplane ever. You you sit back 30 degrees to help with the G forces. Um, you know, when you're turning, you get smashed down and the recline seat helps you out. It's got a side stick controller. It just fits you like a glove. Um, it's a, it's a great airplane, big giant bubble canopy. So you can see everything that's going on. The new airplanes are okay. You know, the F-35 is amazing, but it doesn't, perform as well as the f-16 it's i don't know the f-16 was the
0: best <laughs> yeah. Best in your opinion <laughs> yeah. Man, and you mentioned g-force and i mean it, it's just amazing i just to for me being on the ground just to see these planes. Right. i mean i mean action on, on on videos and in person just see how loud they are what was the training like just preparing for the g-force and preparing for i mean yeah. the, the power and the
1: speed of of the aircraft that you were piloting so, so you can see that it in a car, if you're driving fast, you know, do a tight turn fast, and you get pushed to the side, so that's a G-force. That's maybe a couple tenths of of a G or three tenths of a G, it's just a little bit. But in an F-16, when you're going 500 miles an hour and you do a hard turn, it's nine Gs. So it's like having nine people sit in your lap. I mean, you're just getting smashed down. Um, And when that happens, all the blood comes out of your head, goes down to your toes. So, a guy like as a wrestler, you'd be in good shape because you got strong core muscles, you got you know strong lower body muscles. You tense those up, and that pushes the blood back up. Like you can, and it, you know you can feel your head popping because you're squeezing all the blood up. Don't do that; it could be dangerous. But you know you can. That's what you have to do. Um, other type of athletes, like you know some guys in the Air Force were big into running, they're marathon runners, or whatever. Um, they would actually have a really hard time because their heart rate was so low. Um, they had a hard time with G forces because if you pull and your heart's not pushing, then you pass out. And I, I unfortunately I got several buddies who aren't here because they put themselves to sleep in a hard in a hard turn. So um, it, it's an interesting physiology. You know, you'd think the best, the best runners that's cardiovascular, but that's not really true. It's more muscle and especially lower body. Legs and core that helps you keep from passing out.
0: Wow, that, that's so interesting. So that's something that you really had to
1: focus and develop uh, in addition to uh, your regular training. When I went through fighter, fighter pilot training, um, I showed up and they put you in the centrifuge, and it's a big arm. So here's my—I got my swell bottle of water, right? Mm-hmm. So if you spin this thing around, if I just open this up, all the water will pour out. But if I spin it around, the water all get snatched to the side, right? So it's the same thing in a centrifuge. It's a big arm. It spins around, and you're down there getting smashed. And I came out of that thing, and, man, it kicked my butt. I thought I was going to barf. I had to sit there for like an hour while my eyeballs were moving around. It was terrible. So the next two months, I went to the gym. (laughs) I was in the gym every day lifting weights, um, and then especially neck muscles because you got to be able to check sets while you're with nine people sitting on top of your head. Um, in the wrestling. How important is your neck muscle in wrestling, right? It keeps you from getting thin. Oh, it's huge, yep. Um, so it's the same. We had every fighter squadron has a neck machine, and you're just in there getting your neck. You know, I had a pretty significant neck when I was a fighter pilot. So um, I went back a couple months later, and it was just like smoking the lucky. It was a fighter pilot expression. I could just sit there, and it wasn't a problem. So getting in shape, yes. It's not <laughs> your level of wrestling might name stretch, but it is important. It's an important
0: so uh, I I can't imagine being in that machine that you were talking
1: about. That would make me throw up instantly. I'm <laughs> I have a weak <laughs> a, stomach. The spinning is what does it, and the worst part about it, you're sitting there, and then as you start spinning, the capsule rotates up because it does this, and then when it stops, it comes back down, and it's that you're rotating and you're moving up, and you can't see. You're in a wall, so yeah, I'm I, I was not a big fan of that either. <laughs> How long would you
0: have to sit in that mach- machine? each time
1: they had a couple different profiles one was 10 seconds and one was 30 seconds when I was a test pilot when I was at test pilot school I got checked out in the f15 and I did it my project like my graduate thesis was um, this new technology g-suit that let you go to lots of G's for longer so I as part of that I we did it in the f15 but I also had to go to the centrifuge and wear this giant g-suit and man, I could I could just sit there at 9Gs and have a conversation. It was crazy how good that suit, you know, wow. kept your body. I don't know if it's good for your body. I don't think in the long term it's probably not the best thing to do, but it was pretty cool to just sit there under 9Gs and, and not have a problem because of the suit that's squeezing your squeezing your body.
0: That's amazing technology.
1: Yeah. It was pretty cool. That's what they you know, they went through several iterations and guys in the F22 and the F35 have versions of that nowadays. Wow.
0: And And you, so you have this amazing career and, and you know, these amazing experiences in the Air Force. And I know you just said a little while ago that uh, NASA was always a, a goal of yours. Being an astronaut was always a goal. How did, that, how did that transition come about?
1: So I was at Edwards Air Force Base, which is a couple hours to the west of where you are right now, as a test pilot, as a student, actually. And NASA said, we're going to have a class. So I applied with this long process. Everybody on base wanted to be an astronaut and everybody on base assured me that I wasn't gonna get picked, because I was, I was a student, I didn't have any experience, I was a young guy, a new guy, um, you know, like coming in as a freshman and you know going to the Olympics, I don't know what the, there's an equivalent there in wrestling. Um, but I said, you know what, this is what I wanna do, it's my dream my whole life, and my, it's not like my parents went to college or anything, I didn't know, no one in my family knew what I was doing, but so anyway, so long story short, I went for it, and, uh, and I ended up getting picked. And I was the youngest pilot at NASA for a long time. And wow. I, I learned an important lesson, and that is don't tell yourself no. Um, and I always talk about this when I do public speaking and, and whatever. But you know, it's really easy to tell yourself no. You could probably give this talk a lot better than I could. But you know, people tell you you can't do something, right? You I, you might have heard that before. I don't know. Um, Absolutely. And then if you tell your, if you say okay, you're right, then you won't get to do it. But if you, and the, and the bigger the dream, and you probably have the biggest of all, but like the harder the work, and you can't just say, I want to be a doctor and be a doctor. You know, you, it's a lot, my son's going through that right now, man, that is a long, there's a lot of work you have to do. If you want to be an astronaut, a lot of people want to be astronauts, but there's a lot of work you've got to do to get to that point. So um, I, that's, that's my advice for kids and adults and young and old people, whatever, is, is don't tell yourself no.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. You're absolutely right. And that's something I, I dealt with growing up, especially when I first got into wrestling. There's a lot of people who said, you know, I don't think you you can do this. You know, you're you're missing right. your leg. You can't compete with these guys. They might hurt you. And you're right. If you, if I had listened to that negativity, I wouldn't have gone for my goal. And I wouldn't really be where I'm at today. I mean, right. you, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in that goal and say, you know, no matter what the obstacles are, I got to believe. I got to <laughs> move forward. And that's that's right. that's really that's what makes the goal worth getting sometimes, right? It's, it's weird, yeah. Yeah, The people more the
1: people tell you no, the sweeter, it's locker room material, the sweeter it is when you get it.
0: <laughs> exactly. You kind of use that as motivation to, to kind of prove them wrong. And, you know, the longer and harder you have to work, it just makes it special because, you know, once you finally reach the goal, it's like, you know, there's not a lot of people that were are, are able to do this.
1: They're not willing to stick through to the very end. That's what makes it so special. Right. And, you know, even if you don't get it, then you can try again. You can come up with a new strategy. You can work harder. But even if you never get it, at least you went for it. At least you went through that process. You know, but if you just pull yourself out of the fight, you're going to die old with regret, right? So you don't want to do that. And, um, and maybe you'll, the process of going for your dream, you'll end up with doing something cool that you never would have thought of. But you have to go that initial step, you know, you got to go for it. If you don't, um, think. can I ask you a wrestling question? Absolutely. I mean, when I was a kid, we used to go to, the wrestling matches were like the most exciting thing in my high school. People <laughs> were screaming and cheering, and we'd go to Sting. It was awesome. It was amazing. I, I wrestled a little bit. Nice. I um, half Nelson and full Nelson, and I just couldn't cut weight. Like, I like to eat. And my, my best friend would be, he'd eat like an orange, and that would be his food, food for the day. And he was all, oh, God, it was, I, I, the discipline, I think wrestling more than anything is about discipline. Is that right?
0: Uh, absolutely and that's that's one thing i do not miss is the weight cutting and the dieting part of it i think i missed uh nine think actually no let's see eight thanksgiving straight i could not uh, really eat because we had a tournament shortly after Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's wrestling season yep yeah
1: so you, re- you made an orange for thanksgiving probably
0: pretty yeah. much i had some a sliver of some chicken and a little bit of broccoli and
1: <laughs> uh.
0: that was about it but but again you know that, that's what made it so special when, when i finally got to the top of the podium is like you know I thought about all, all the sacrifice
1: that I put into it. Right, uh, the work that went into it. yeah, Exactly. But I know, like, okay, I'm a fighter pilot, right? So roll stability, lateral stability is important in an airplane, in a person too, right? Mm-hmm. And you use your legs to keep yourself from getting flipped over on your back. Yep. But how did you do that?
0: Yeah, I know it, you've been
1: asked this a million times. I'm sorry, but I, it's – Oh, no. no having yeah, wrestled, no. I'm really curious about that
0: yeah and that, that's that was always the big thing people would always say for wrestling, the number one thing you need to have is balance that you have to right. you have to find your balance and so for me, that was the biggest obstacle at the beginning was my balance, trying to compensate for missing a leg on that side because you know when I did get into that physical contact when my opponents would grab me by the neck or try to move me around i i would I didn't have my right side to kind of post up you know to kind of keep me right. stable so what my coach used to tell me he said, you know we have to focus on your strengths and camouflage your weaknesses. Everybody knows you're missing a your leg. We know that's a weakness. It's going to be your balance. Right. He said, right. so let's put you on the ground. And by being down on your knee, you can use both the arms. And your arms will basically compensate for that missing leg. And so you know, that's what I would do. I would drop down to the ground, and I would use my hands to kind of move around to help maneuver and help counter that balance, uh, the lack of balance from missing my leg. And then when right. my opponents would reach out to me, then I'd grab them and kind of use them as a balance. So right. you know,
1: that. You know, you would do great in space um, because you, you use your arms. So your legs are kind of useless. When you get somewhere, like you might put your feet under a, under a bar to stabilize yourself. But everything you do, you move with your hands and you do your work with your hands. So um, uh, that's just an interesting, it's, it's not wrestling exactly, but it's kind of the same, how you use your arms and hands to move around and stabilize yourself.
0: That that was actually one of my questions later on. Is I mean, how is it just moving around in space with zero gravity? Does it make you nauseous? You know, or do you get sick? Or is it well, like-
1: the, for me, the first couple of days were super bad. I, I, I had the worst headache I've ever had in my life because your inner ear, you know, you've got these different uh, vestibular system, the circular canals in there, and there's fluid. And then you know, the way they're it's it's a ring laser gyro system that the F-16 and the space shuttle had to know which way's up. Is how our ears are designed, and um, uh, in space, that fluid floats up, so you don't know which way is up or down. But you're you know, because you as long as your eyes are open, you can see. But on Earth, I can I, I can feel this chair squeezing my butt right now because I'm sitting on it, and my inner ear no knows. So in space, you don't have that, and I I just had a really bad headache. You know, uh, you feel sick to your stomach, and it was on the third morning. Uh, it was like a light switch went off, and um, all of a sudden that was fine. I mean, it was like my brain was work, figuring out working, 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 and, and all of a sudden, okay, I got it. And then it figured it out and it was good.
0: Wow. So you just had to wait
1: and let your body adjust to it then, huh? It, I, and I think everybody goes through the same thing. Um, You'll also get back pain because you grow, you know, because like right now there's weight on your shoulders, but you, you grow. I, everybody grows about two inches or so. Um, uh, so uh there's back pain, there's the head, headache pain. And then after a few days, everybody eventually adapts. And it's amazing how quickly we can adapt because that's alien. I mean, it's weightless. We don't have that on earth. Um, So, uh, but it was, it was that learning process was really interesting for me just to watch myself learn how to be a spaceman and not an earth man. Yeah. (laughs) It was, it was pretty cool.
0: I bet. Can you talk a little bit about that experience of, of your first launch and that moment where you got the opportunity to look out the window and just stare down at Earth for the first time? That must have been amazing.
1: Yeah, I got. Uh, I wrote a book. Uh, first book, my first book is an at Geo book. Um, the chapter one was about that eight and a half minutes of launch. Um, the very first thing I saw, we were upside down going towards. Uh, space and I looked out the front window and I could see the moon in the distance and it was so surreal to be I'm smashed down um, under g-force accelerating Vibrating the solid rocket motors have a, there's a lot of vibration and there's this roar and I look out and there's the moon It was this amazing thing and the shuttle hasn't a, does a roll to heads up maneuver and you don't know if it's gonna roll right or left um the computer picks whichever way is quicker because you're doing this and if it's if you're here then it rolls this way if you're there then it rolls that way so I w- I was lucked out because it rolled I was a pilot I was up front and the, the way it rolled I could see the earth you know my commander got to see this black and I got to see the east coast it was I-95 wow. um you know I could see from North Carolina through Baltimore Washington Philly I grew up in Baltimore so that's where I'm from uh and it was amazing to look down and and I only had a few seconds, and then I had to fly the space shuttle. So,
0: um,
1: and then a few minutes later, we were flying over the North Atlantic at night time. I launched at four in the morning, in the winter time. But by the time we got over the North Atlantic, the sun was starting to come up, and you can see this blue strip of atmosphere in the distance. And I'll never forget it. I, just, I was just like, I can't believe what I'm watching. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and seeing that blue uh i've got some pictures here that i took from space in my office but um it was like i i had never seen that shade of blue before and i Hmm. never imagined that i would see a color that i had never seen before but it really felt like that yeah i looked on your social media
0: and saw some of the photos that you've taken just absolutely incredible i mean i I can't imagine just being able to be there in person to see that but for you it, it took a lot of time a lot of hard work hours of studying years of education just to be able to have that moment to experience something yeah. that that very few people have had the opportunity to experience Were there are times uh, where you thought you that just getting to that point would be unreachable where you kind oh, of got discouraged
1: yeah you know that was kind of my podium moment that eight that eight and a half minutes of launch you know that was the one moment you're right I had never thought of it that way wow um, of course I like I said I, you know, everybody was like you're never gonna get picked it's a long process just to get picked by NASA. And then I got selected in 2000 um, and I didn't fly until 2010. It was a nine and a half year wait uh, for a lot of reasons. They had um, uh, NASA hired too many astronauts. Between 95 and 2000, they hired 125 astronauts. And then the space station got delayed, like everything in aerospace always gets delayed. And then there was a, some technical problems. So they, the shuttle didn't fly for a while. And then uh, the, these space station missions were really complicated, so they wouldn't fly rookies, they were only flying experienced astronauts. So those guys were flying every year and the rookies were sitting around waiting. Yeah. And then the Columbia accident happened. I've got a picture of Columbia up there behind me on the night before launch. Uh, and then after that accident happened, no one flew for a couple of years. So all these things kind of compounded. And the folks my age mostly had to wait, everybody had to wait between eight and 12 years to fly. So. Uh, it was okay it was an interesting job I was I was getting paid I wasn't unemployed I was in the Air Force um, and I was doing cool stuff but you know for a while and then at about the five or six or seven year point I was like all right guys this is this is a long time this is enough Um, and you know you can't complain but you know there got to be a point where is this ever gonna happen or not and then you just have to slug through it and believe that it's gonna happen and then I got to fly on the shuttle as a pilot, and then a few years later, I went back and ended up being the space station commander, spent seven months in space. So I was super lucky, and it worked out. But absolutely, I went through a time of years wondering if it was going to happen or not.
0: Yeah, I think I I can relate because it took me some time to, to reach my national title. You know, I remember when I first got into wrestling at 14 years old, I remember watching the college guys on TV and thinking, you know, one day I want to be like them. One day I want to be a national champ. I didn't get right. the opportunity for, for nine years total. And there were some discouraging wow. moments for me as well, you know? And I just right. remember throughout the time, just, just kind of struggling, really, really just trying to decide if I wanted to continue for that goal or just try to give it up and, and move for something else. But I'd always think to myself, you know, how good is it going to feel to reach that goal? You know, and, and I think really we can't control certain things that happen, you know, those, those outside factors but what we can control is our attitude, our hard work, and just staying dedicated
1: to our goal. Right. That's you know, Amen. I remember in 1999, I went to my 10-year academy reunion. I was in the class of 89 from the Air Force Academy. And we were sitting there watching the football game freezing, and everybody was talking, and everybody was flying for the airlines. And they're flying for United and Delta and America and Southwest, and they're making 100000 and they're making, making 200000 and they're making all this money, and they only have to work 10 days a month. And It was like, it was like an airliner recruiting session, mm-hmm. sitting there at this class reunion. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna keep on working in the Air Force, and I'll go back to Iraq again. And you know, it would, but that that was my dream. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I could take the easy way out, but I'm gonna stick to it. And um, I, I mean, I was lucky and I got picked. But uh, and and then nine eleven happened, Mm -hmm. and all my buddies were furloughed and they were all back in the you know Air National Guard or something. And so Mm -hmm. it was it was a really interesting couple year turn of event. But I, there was definitely some tempt- temptation there for me to give up on the dream and just take the easy road. Um, but uh, anyway, for me, it worked out to not do that. I'm sure as a wrestler, it's a constant temptation. You know, when the Navy SEALs go through their training, the, they're freezing and they're ready to die and the, and the their NCOs will walk around and go, hey guys, here's some, here's some fried chicken and hamburgers. Come on, man. You just come over here. We got... They're, they're, the fire's on all you got to do is say i quit and you get food and and we'll give you some nice clothes and you're good it's really then the people are nice over there they're yelling out yeah, here we got you know just all you have to do is quit and we'll feed you it'll be great you know and they're trying to see what your dedication is and that's um sometimes you got to go through some trials to 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 get to you know the top of the mountain
0: yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, and one of the things that I, I would kind of focus on is like, you know, I tell myself just going through the journey when it would get long, it's like, okay, I just need to focus on the next step, you know, just get through one more practice, just get through one more match, and just keep doing that. And little by little, before you know it, you've stockpiled, you know, I stockpiled a couple matches, a couple uh, championships that I won and in, in your know, regular season tournaments. And it's like, okay, I'm getting there, I'm, I'm getting the progress that I want, it might not be as quick as I want. But I can see, I can see that I'm, I'm still going in the right direction. You know, sometimes you have to right. count those little steps, those little movements, because it is progress still. You know, you just got to stay positive and just be patient.
1: And it's it's a it's a tough lesson to learn, and it, it kind of you get tested. But I think that the more you're tested, the sweeter the victory, right? So
0: absolutely. Well, Colonel, do you have any advice for people who, who are chasing goals of their own, but maybe they're dealing with the reality that maybe their goals might take a long time to reach or maybe they're facing setbacks along the way?
1: Right. So, I mean, it's easy to say you have to go for it and believe in yourself. And, and platitudes are nice and they're true to a point, but then, you know, there's practical considerations. And so when you're setting a goal, like I could set a goal that I want to be, I want to be Beyonce's singing partner on her ne- next world tour. Guess what, man, I can't sing. <laughs> you know, I, I want to, I want, I'm, I, baseball is my favorite sport. I played a bunch of sports in school. I, I love baseball. I wanted to be the shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. I grew up in Baltimore. Well, there was this guy named Cal Ripken there. And there was also the fact that I can't hit a curveball. Um, and I really can't hit a fastball either. And it, when you combine that with my really sub-average arm and lack of ability to field, that was probably not going to be my future. So... You know, I could have said I I believe in my dream of being a baseball player, but you got to have some realism, right? Um, so I, I would say, you know, make a plan, make sure make sure it's real realistic. It can still be you want to be president of the United States. That's realistic, but you know you have to figure out how you're going to get there. Is what I'm trying to say. So you know, chart your path out. You could say I want to be an actor. That's great, but you have to figure out some way to make money somehow to pay the bills while you're learning how to be an actor, you know? So I guess what I would say is be, you know, aim high being the air force guy, but also have a plan and, you know, bring some realism to your plan. You want to be Olympic champion of wrestling and you don't have a leg. Well, that you're going to have to have a plan. You're going to have to work hard and you're going to have to find a coach who can figure out how to make this work. And, you know, it doesn't mean you can't do it, Um, but you, you can't just say you want to do it and make it happen. You actually have to have that plan and bring a little bit of realism to it. Um.
0: Hey everyone. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Before we get back to it, I'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsor. I believe there's an unstoppable spirit in us all, but sometimes that unstoppable spirit should be stopped at the door. That's why I've partnered with Safe Streets to help stop would-be intruders and porch pirates from ruining your day. Right now, Unstoppable listeners can get a free doorbell camera and $100 Visa gift card with new system activation and installation. Let Safe Streets help protect what you value most. Reserve your free doorbell and $100 Visa gift card today. Call 844-980-SAFE or visit safestreets.com slash unstoppable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, looks- I said, like I said, the bigger the dream, the harder the work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the harder it is to get. And, and also the other thing is, like, I think you're going to have failure. I don't know. You, were you just undefeated the whole time you wrestled? or? I so, wish.
0: I, I was undefeated yeah. my, my last year, but the, the other years before that, I, I definitely
1: stockpiled some losses. <laughs> right. Or do you wish? Uh, to be honest, um, like when I the last, before I left NASA, I went through 18,000 uh, applications for the new astronaut class. And there were some guys that they have a 4.0 and they got perfect SATs and they were the top grad out of pilot training and they were number one this and number one that. Those guys always make me nervous. Um, they might be great guys, but if they've never failed, are they just going to have a meltdown the first time something goes wrong? Because guess what? When you show up in the astronaut office, whatever you think you were good at, there's someone else better than you at that, right? I mean, like when you get to the top of the top, sometimes you're going to fail. And it's, I, think, I think it's how you handle failure is more important than how you handle success right? Developing your character and making you successful. Um, there's a lot, you know, there's a million examples of this. People have some hardship in life that they have to overcome. And the guy that has everything perfect, I don't think is ready for the, for the top of the mountain yet. Cause you have to go through some uh, hardship.
0: That's a great point that you make right there. Just, I, I believe, I really believe that your challenges, they make you stronger. They make you who you are. You know, I've actually had people in, in in the past, they've asked me if I had the opportunity, if I had the choice, would I have another leg? You know, if, if I could go back and choose to be born missing missing my leg or have two, what would I choose? And I tell them, I was like, well, you know what? It was hard. It still is hard. But this challenge has made me who I am. It's made me mentally stronger. It's made me, it's made me just capable of overcoming certain challenges in my life that I might not otherwise have been able to overcome. You know, it, it makes you who you right. are and it builds you up. And you're right. You know, right. if you're not tested, uh, then, you know, you, you are kind of you're in that position where you might crumble. You know, I remember guys on our wrestling team, you know, they did really well in high school and guys, other teams as well. They did really well in high school, but they get to the college level where everybody's a state champion. Everyone's a high school runner up. Right. And you go against the metal against metal. It's like, okay, you know, you get humbled really quick and you got to check yourself and Wait a minute.
1: (laughs) There were no, there was nobody like you in high school. where did you come from? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. It's very
1: humbling. I've, I've talked to guys on college football teams, uh, there's like the first week or two, they're always playing, you know, Alabama or somebody. And most of the time they're playing the local conference. And I was talking to a kid who they got to play Alabama and he was like, dude, everybody on that team could just pick me up and throw me across the thing. And anyway, but you know, it's good to face those challenges. Otherwise, you know, what is it? And I know I've known kids, they grow up in privilege and they never have to, you know, they're not hungry.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And people, it, it's like the old Rocky movie. You know, there's there's something to be said for being hungry. um Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and those challenges, those setbacks, it's I think it's like a perfect opportunity to allow yourself to grow. You know, to, yeah. to get better and just reevaluate and come back stronger. And uh, just going back to what you said about about having a plan. You know, I, I love that because you know, of course, it's great to have a dream, but if you don't have that plan, if you don't have you know just something drawn out to where how are you going to get to that dream you know how are you going to make that dream a reality then it's never gonna it's never gonna go past that dream stage you know i I remember just being on wrestling in a wrestling match i'm thinking okay of course i want to win right that's my goal but if i don't have a plan like okay what moves am i going to do you know i I have to study my opponent how am i going to plan this out to get the win it's not going to be a reality for me
1: right no i agree and you know in and two and you're listening to espn or whatever and the they're talking about the quarterback and he's the hardest working guy on the team. And, and I always think, I bet you there's a lot of hardworking guys on the team. Mm-hmm. I bet you there's a lot of guys that go to the weightlifting room and, you know, you also have to bring some brains behind it. It can't just be, you know, you have to have a plan. Like, yep. you know, like you said, um, you got to put in that work too. And a lot of times I think kids are so talented and they can outrun everybody in school and, and then they get to college or whatever, and then you and then you meet that other guy who was also the star quarterback on his team. So you, you need the you need both, right? You need the willingness to put in the hard work, but you also need the brains to put in the thing to to really get to the absolute best top. If all you want to do is you know win whatever in high school, that's fine. But if you really want to move and keep on moving up the ladder, you kind of need a combination of both. I think.
0: Absolutely, and just going back to to space, I'm just so. I mean, that just must, must have been so amazing. I want to ask, what was your favorite part of living in space?
1: So there's, there were two things that I loved about space, floating and the view. And, you know, my thing is I, I love photography. I've, I've kind of, I'm moving on into like filmmaking and TV. And I, I really love that. And when I was in space, I actually, I took the most ever pictures. Like that was just my thing. And I think when I got back, the, people here in Houston were very happy that I was back because I was taking so many pictures, they were having to process all these images. <laughs> um, so I love that, but, but floating is cool. It's just, it's different, like it's alien, it's not what we do on earth. And um, you just, when you get really good at it and you can tell when the new guys show up and they're clunky and they're flailing around and then after a week or two, they just get really good at it. And uh, uh, that was really fun, just being able to move around and, and, and when you push off, if you, if you just do that you go shooting and you're spinning and you look uncoordinated, but just, <laughs> it's just like a little bit of push. And then you want to get to where you're going in the right angle. Ah. Cause if you, you, cause there's translation, which is motion and there's rotation. So you can translate to the right place. But a lot of times you, there was this one time where I went Vroom, and I just spun around like this. And I got to where I was going back first and I and I was like, I'm just gonna sit here and look cool because there's so always cameras on. me. So I'm like, I gotta look cool. And I'm like, yeah, I meant to do that. And then I got done. Cause anyway, so there that process of learning is just really cool. Floating is awesome. I bet. Was it
0: hard for you when you came back to Earth to kind of transition back to just walking normally and and, and you know getting back to, to getting used to gravity again?
1: Yeah. Um, it's funny, President Obama asked me that same question when we went to the White House after my first flight. Um, the There's two things when you come back to Earth. A is dizzy, because the same, just like you got dizzy going into space, when you come back, it's the same thing. Um, and after both of my flights, I felt really dizzy, and I, I was able to walk, and I was able to do everything, but I didn't enjoy it. It was not a lot of fun. Um, so just getting your balance again takes a, a day or two for sure or three or four. Uh, and also heavy. I, I felt super heavy. I mean, mm-hmm. the guy, I was the last guy out of the shuttle. And when they finally came in to get me, they said, Terry, here, give me your helmet. So I went to pick up my helmet and I was like, Oh, be careful. This thing weighs 500 pounds. Um, it, so th- those were the two things, dizzy and, and, uh, and heavy. It was how I felt. <laughs> wow. But- Colonel, I I just
0: want to get your insight. I mean, May 30th, we witnessed history when the SpaceX company founded by Elon Musk, they launched astronauts into orbit for the first time, which started really a new chapter in spaceflight. I mean, can you share your thoughts on the significance of that launch and and its impact on the future of space exploration?
1: Yeah, so in the short term, we have another way to get people to the space station, which is good. I mean, the space station is this big, massive spaceship. Um, A lot of countries have come together to make it run. Uh, there's this big logistical train and one of the things that needs to happen is getting people to and from. We've been doing that on the Russian Soyuz since uh, well since the beginning of the space station Um, and thankfully and they're the only way we can get there through no fault of their own it's our own fault but that's been the only way to get there so now we have a a backup plan which is really good Um, but in the in the longer term it's getting people to and from Earth orbit, which we've been doing that since Yuri Gagarin and John Glenn in the 60s. Uh, but the bigger, uh, the more important, bigger picture here is that you know companies can do it. Um, this wasn't an NASA thing, this was a SpaceX thing. And, and <clears throat> if we're gonna do stuff in space, it's gonna have to come through private industry, I think. Um, unfortunately, the government's job is to keep the government in operation and it's, the, it's jobs and it's the government, right? It, and there's, there's just not any innovation there. There's no motivation to do something different. It's just, how can I keep my job in my congressional district? Um, so with private industry, we can actually do cool stuff in space. So the, this capsule uh, is not the ultimate goal. This is just a way to get people to and from the station. But there's going to be a lot of other things that happen through Jeff Bezos' company, Elon Musk's, Sierra Nevada, Bigelow. There, there's a lot of. Uh, private companies doing this stuff. So hopefully we can figure out how to work with them through private public partnerships and it'll open up space exploration for the future.
0: Yeah. It's just amazing to see where we're at right now in history. And I was looking up on online. They're saying that, you know, you can regular person can book a flight to space. That's just insane.
1: You just need a, you just need a few zeros in your checkbook.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Just a little bit. I think I saw a million dollars. Like, Oh,
1: (laughs) No no no. Uh, Virgin Galactic, they have a basically a rocket plane and Jeff Bezos, Blue Origin has a capsule. He hasn't announced his price yet. Virgin Galactic's been advertising 250 250,000. So, you know, and that's a number that a fair number of people can get. You can save up, you know, I don't have a spare 250 laying around, but that's a number that's achievable. Um, the orbital flights are going to be tens of millions of dollars. So if mm. you eventually, because those things, they just go up and then five minutes later, come down. You go up in space, you look around, and then you come back to Earth a few minutes later. Oh, uh, gotcha. the, the orbital one where you're actually in orbit um, is a much different ball game. It's a lot harder, a lot more dangerous, and those flights are going to be tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, wow. that's just
0: crazy to see where we're at. I can't wait to to see the future for space exploration and just the technology. Now it's amazing. But yeah, Colonel, I, cool. I know you. Yeah, I, I know you mentioned your, your book behind you there, but I know you have also you're in the works right now. You have another book that you have coming out, uh, How to Astronaut: An Insider's Guide to Leaving Planet Earth. Can you share a little bit about that and you know what's your, yeah. your
1: what led you to creating that book? I'm super excited. So one of the things when I was in high school, for sure, I was the least likely to write a book. Um, I was probably the worst English student in the whole school. My poor English teachers had to put up with me. Man, I, was, I, I just hated it. And then over time, I've really gotten to love writing. You know, I, I wrote View From Above myself. Um, I wrote How to Astronaut All By Myself. It's not a photo book. It's a, it's a collection of 51 short essays uh, about just random things about space, how to train uh, for emergencies in the space shuttle, uh, how to become a doctor. I was the crew medical officer. How to learn about co2 symptoms and then some more crazy things like uh uh what do you do if your rocket engine breaks and you can't get back to earth if you're stuck in space uh what do you do if your crewmate dies what do you do with their body um are there aliens and and there's a lot of other kind of fun topics so the goal of the book is to make you laugh and um and say wow and you know you can pick it up read any chapter it doesn't there's not like a, a to z it's just pick it up and read the chapters it's a it's a beach free book and my publisher's awesome uh we had a big 20 city book tour it was going to be this big thing oh. and uh now now i've got a 20 city zoom tour oh. <laughs> on september september 15th when we start so it's the new world we live in but um I'm excited about it. It's pretty cool. And, and uh, the people who've read it have been given real good reviews. So, um, I'm it's always nervous though when you do something like that, like in art, I, I made this movie last year and when I went to the first screening, God, I was like more nervous than when I launched. <laughs> Cause people really? are watching your art. Yeah. You know, it's a, you know, and so with a book coming out, it's like, you know, I hope people say like it. Um, so, so far, so good, but uh, we'll see. You have a, you have a book here, right? You've done this. You've been down this
0: road before. Yes, sir, I do. It's it's called Unstoppable. It's about my whole life story. It, it was a, a fun process to write it, but I'm, I'm sure people are going to love your book. I got the opportunity just to look through the, the table of contents, like you said, that the titles uh, of their chapters. And I mean, I, mean, I was looking and said, The Vomit Comet, The First Taste of Weightlessness. <laughs> I mean, another I one. That...
1: The... <laughs> What's that? I love the... Uh uh yeah the the titles we tried to make you know kind of funny the first taste of weightlessness <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i thought it was awesome and for me i mean i'm a guy that you know especially here in arizona because it's so hot i take like three showers a day so the one that yeah. got my eye, it said no showers for 200 days no problem so <laughs> i have to ask you about Better that like tracker. yeah right I, I don't i don't want you to, to spill all of it but you know how how do astronauts how do they take showers in space with the gravity? And I mean, how does that uh, <laughs> transpire?
1: So the, you know, the showering, I always joke, it's every 13 year old's dream. Cause there's no, you know, no showers. <laughs> um, uh, but it's not a problem. There's a movie called beautiful planet. I got it up here on the bookshelf. It's an IMAX movie that I helped film. It was the highlight of my time in space. There's a scene in there of me taking a shower um, and I always joke, I got paid twice as much as my crewmates because I, I I did the nude scene in the movie. <laughs> um, I got, you know, two times zero. Uh, so anyway, but um, it's just you squirt water on yourself, you rub yourself down with a towel, and you work out for two and a half hours a day. So there's a lot of exercise going on. There's a lot of sweat. I mean, I would, my Under Armour shirts were just drenched. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing that, with a little bag of hot water, Every once in a while, you'd have soap. Often you wouldn't, but in a towel. And you could get pretty clean doing that. And just walking around, you don't um, you don't sweat. Like, you, don't, you sweat on Earth. I mean, if you go outside right now, yeah, it's a dry heat, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Or I went running this morning, and it takes me an hour to stop sweating after I get back from a run. Um, so uh, the showering is not bad. And then the first shower I took when I got back to Earth was in scotland we landed in russia helicoptered the airport uh nasa airplane we stopped in scotland for gas and they had a shower there so I, I didn't have time to shower so i took my shower and it was so painful it hurt so much it was like needles in my back really my skin just wasn't used to that wow yeah yeah
0: and the, the was, things we don't really think about we don't really realize what you deal
1: with up there that's crazy It it was, yeah, right. I mean, most people don't think about that. Um, But there was a lot of stuff, like the CO2 thing. You don't think about that. But on Earth, when you breathe breathe in oxygen, breathe out carbon dioxide, um, and trees do the opposite. They breathe in carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen. Thank God for trees, literally. Um, But in space, we don't have that. We have these machines. And so if they break, if there's no fans running, you just build the CO2 bubble and it could kill you. I mean, you have to have air... Mechanically circulated uh, because of the lack of gravity and the lack of wind. So um, you have to know what it's like to have CO2. So there's a, I think it's a pretty funny chapter. It's about, it's a competition just like the right stuff. We're sitting there breathing into a paper bag. Um, I was kind of proud of that chapter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Colonel, I can't wait to re- read your book. When, where will it be available and, and when? You
1: said in September? How, how to Astronaut, wherever books are sold, local independent bookseller. Amazon. You can already order it on Amazon. Uh, pre-order. Barnes and Noble's going to have it, so it'll be it, the the publisher is great, and it's a pretty big you know distribution they're doing. So uh, it'll be out there all over the place, and ho- hopefully it'll be something fun for people to read. And wow, I'm sh- you know you'll learn if you if you like space, or even if you don't, it's it should be a fun. It's a it's a good beach read. You're sitting by the pool, reader, have it on your table at night, and read a chapter, and fall asleep.
0: <laughs> well, I'll definitely be picking it up. It sounds extremely interesting. So will a to get you a galley copy.
1: Oh, so I'd be honored. Copy.
0: I, I would love that. I would love to check it out. I mean, just like I said, just reading through the contents, it really got me curious. I'm like, man, how, how did, yeah, that's, a, that's really interesting, those topics. Yeah. So would love to read it. It's cool. But Colonel, I know in 2019, you're part of a team that was on a mission to set a Guinness world record. And that mission became known as, as One More Orbit. Can you share a little bit about this record attempt and the motivation behind achieving it?
1: Yes. So um, uh, my friend, who is uh, kind of this crazy guy, he owns an aircraft company, uh, and he for years, he's a big space fan. And for years, we've been talking about doing this project called One More Orbit. I've got a, I've got my One More Orbit shirt on, and there's a there's an airplane we did it in. So, um he wanted to fly around the planet and set a world record, a speed record, and um, bring an Apollo guy along with us. And we were going to do, I was going to be one of the pilots. I had a training day to Gulfstream to learn how to fly this jet. Anyway, it didn't happen. <clears throat> um, uh, and then last spring, I got a call from Hamish. His name's Hamish. Hey, Terry, this is going to happen. I'm like, okay, sure, Hamish. We've been talking about this for years. No, 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 really, it's going to happen. And I'm like, dude, I don't have time to get a check out in this Gulfstream. It, it, that takes a couple months, you know. I can't do that. And he said, well, yeah, but you want you're getting into film and stuff. Why don't you make a movie about it? I thought, okay, this could be really cool. So um, I ended up getting a, a legit budget, like a real Hollywood movie budget. And he said, make a movie, but it, but we're taking off in in a couple months. I mean, like, I didn't have any time to come up with a what's the story going to be? Well, who's your talent? Um, <clears throat> so I remember one afternoon, this friend of mine, who's a professor at the USC film school. And I, I do guest lecturing with him a couple of times a year. And we sat down in our friend's office. We got a yellow notepad out. and We just started writing, you know, how are we going to make this interesting? A bunch of, you know, a bunch of guys sitting there in a business jet for 48 hours. How's that going to be? <laughs> um, I think we came up with something that was pretty cool. It's very cool. It was like, there's the, Excitement, are they gonna make the record? And then there's the, we're, we tie in with Apollo, cause we did it on the 50th anniversary of Apollo. That's why the timeline was there. We wanted to launch uh, during Apollo. And we took off and landed at the Kennedy Space Center mm-hmm. on the same runway where I landed my space shuttle and on the same place where Apollo left from. So that was really cool. cool. And uh, so there's, the, there's that, but then there's really how exploration brings us together. And we were 10 people from 10 different countries. <laughs> Um, it was the Middle Eastern uh, airplane. It was Qatar Airways on the airplane, and they provided this amazing support for us. Uh, they had captains pre-positioned in each of our refueling sites to make sure the refueling went well. Uh, they had a mission control set up in Doha, Qatar, to help us out. So in the middle, you know, the world has been crazy for the last decade, um, and then this was before COVID, and then it was before all the race riots were having them. So you know, it's it's. Completely insane today, but even a few months ago, it was pretty crazy before all this stuff happened. Mm-hmm. So the real point of the movie is about how people can work together. Um, and we met this lady in Mauritius. We stopped for gas in Mauritius in the middle of the Indian Ocean, this island, um, who had been the Walter Cronkite of Mauritius. So when Apollo happened, she was there. Uh, uh, their like their podcaster, whatever. She was on TV. You know, she said, "Hey." Here they're launching and they're about to land. So there's this whole amazing section about how she did that. It was really cool. We just wow. randomly ran into her. Um, when we stopped in Chile, there's the guy that was our fixer, you know, the guy that made stuff happen, was the most eloquent, well-spoken guy. And my cinematographer I'd sent down there, he's like, can I get this on camera? And it made it in the movie. There's this really cool scene with this random guy talking about how, Mage- it was also the 500th anniversary of Magellan going around the world for the first time. And we were in the Straits of Magellan, which uh-huh. is where we stopped for gas, ironically. Um, and so, he, this random story was really cool. And so, anyway, it's a fun movie. Uh, it's some really nice photography from space. I took some of my space images, and I compare orbiting in a spaceship with orbiting in an airplane. It was a, amazing how similar that was to a, a space mission. Um, but there's bigger and more deeper things. We talk about the environment, things we can do to stop climate change. Uh, mm. We talk about people working together from different countries. And my Russian cosmonaut, who had been in space with me, the guy with the most time of anybody ever in the history of space, uh, we picked him up in Kazakhstan and dropped him off in Mauritius. Mm. So he's like one of the stars of the show. He's a really, really, really funny guy. Um, he spent 879 days in space. I was his commander when I was on the station. And wow. we're really good friends to this day. So it was a fun movie. That was a long answer. Sorry about that.
0: Oh, no, a great answer. I mean, you've had so many amazing experiences. I mean, <laughs> could listen to a ton of your amazing. stories. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm sure it's probably hard to narrow it down to one. But do you have, like, out of everything that you've gotten the opportunity to experience, is there one that's just above the rest? Or are they just all, I mean, because you've done so much. do you have one above all the rest
1: flying in space was pretty cool (laughs) you know flying the f-16 was pretty cool um uh and making movies is amazing i love it i've I've only i'm a novice i'm a new guy but i really enjoy it um uh you know the thing that i've done of all the stuff i've done in my life i think my kids are my best you know Mm -hmm. i would trade in space missions for more kids they they were awesome uh, coaching them and I was their coach. I, I told you how long I had to wait to fly. Well, during that time I wasn't traveling much and so I, I coached little league in football and soccer for like five or six or seven years. So it was a long time uh, and that was probably the favorite, my favorite thing I've ever done. I've got a picture somewhere I don't think it's here. My son—I'll never forget my son's ten-year-old little league team. We were fifteen and zero. It was undefeated. It was so it was so cool. And this kid—I was at an Astros game last year, and this man walks up to me, Coach Terry, Coach Terry, and I'm like, "Hey," and he was—he was, he was this—he was like fifty-pound, you know, eight-year-old on that team. Wow. Um, it was just so cool. That, you know, they, these kids still remember me, but now they're now they're young men. And, and anyway, that was fun. That was us kids. Oh, there's lots of other things you can do, but I think, you know, people are the most important.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's all about, about family and those relationships you build along your lifetime,
1: right? It is. It well, is.
0: Well, Colonel, you, you've been so gracious with your time. So if it's okay with you, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So I, I have what I call here the, the short time questions. Four questions okay. to wrap up. Yes, sir. Light is that all right? All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So here are the short time questions for you. First question. What's your favorite book or movie? the right stuff no one more orbit (laughs) the the right stuff i like it if you could give your younger self any advice what would it be don't tell yourself no is there a motivational quote or phrase that keeps you going when times are tough
1: oh man i just do it Uh, uh i would have to say don't tell yourself no um there's no limit to the good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. That was one of the, uh, memory, not memory verse. It was, uh, when you're a freshman at the Academy, you got to memorize all these quotes. And that was one of, I think it was Patton's quote. There's no limit to the good you can do if you don't care who gets credit. A lot of leaders nowadays probably need to understand that better. (laughs) Yes, sir.
0: And final question here, Colonel, what does unstoppable mean to you?
1: Um, I think of Louis Zamperini, that was unbroken, um, but you know, a guy like him, your story is amazing. Uh, It's just, it's, it's the human will over the physical world, you know, and I went through all these different survival training classes where they teach you if you eject and you're stuck at sea or you're in the ocean or the snow. Um, the, there's one thing that they found over 50 years of pilots bailing out, and that's the will to survive. Our guys in Vietnam, they were tortured for years. Some guys gave up and they died, and others didn't, like John McCain and lots of other, George Day and others, they didn't, and they survived. And so I think there's nothing more powerful on Earth than the human will.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Colonel. Amen i that. You're the best
1: example of that of all time. But there's lots oh. of other examples too, right? So, Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Colonel. I mean, it's such an honor to, to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time, for answering my questions and just for uh, the knowledge that you share. And I can't wait to read your book.
1: <laughs> Good, I, that'll be fun. And thank you for inviting me on. This is awesome. I love podcasts and this is really cool. Uh, it was my pleasure, Colonel. And before I let you go,
0: uh, can you just share a little bit about, uh, you know, where we can follow you on social media and how we can get hold of you?
1: Yeah, so uh, my website's T E R Y V I R T S, uh My Twitter's at, at Astro Terry, uh, and Instagram is Astro underscore Terry. Uh, and I've got a Facebook and I'm starting to, you know, I've been kind of tweeting randomly. Um, and I'm trying to make that a little bit more disciplined and giving some help. But, uh, yeah, you know what I need to do is just get, is, is post some more of my space photography. Cause you know, there's a, a lot of stuff's making me very angry these days and a lot of other people angry. And that doesn't, you know, maybe I could just do some, positive stuff and share some space photography.
0: That's a great idea, Uh, Colonel. I'm following you on social media, so I'd love to see more photos.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. I need That's what everybody wants, so I need to do more of that. I'm going to do more of that.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. Well, Colonel, again, thank you so much for your time, and enjoy the rest of your week. All right, you too. Thanks for having me on, Anthony. Thank you. Take care. Well, that was a lot of fun getting to talk with Colonel Vertz and hear about some of his incredible experiences. I thought it was really cool how he referred to that moment when he launched into space for the very first time and looked out the window to see the earth underneath him as his podium moment. The podium moment is when all your hard work finally pays off and you finally get to enjoy accomplishing your dream. It took Colonel Vert's years of preparation and studying and an enormous amount of resiliency in order to get to his podium moment. We already know that accomplishing goals quite often doesn't come easy, and even more often, it takes longer than when we want. But when you find yourself in that moment, and there will be that moment where you get discouraged and want to put the goal on the shelf, remember, escape velocity. Stay committed and have faith, and you will get to your podium moment. Thank you all for listening. I really hope that you all are enjoying this podcast. If it has had a positive impact on you, I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to shoot me an email at theunstoppablepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to me on Facebook and Instagram at the unstoppable podcast. Take care, everyone. Remember, be unstoppable. Unstoppable is brought to you by Safe Streets. Safe Streets makes home security easier than ever before. Right now, Unstoppable listeners can get a free doorbell camera plus a $100 Visa gift card with a new ADT monitoring agreement. Visit safestreets.com slash unstoppable for details. The Unstoppable Podcast is a production of Anthony Robles Enterprises, LLC, in partnership with The Really Good Home Podcasts. I'd like to thank my editor, Laura Batista, producer Katie Pulitonoff, and my senior producer, Andy Frazier. Special thanks this episode to NASA and their YouTube channel for the clip at the front of this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great day, and remember, be unstoppable.